bets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to the left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. To left field, Floyd. And after winning rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a title to show for it. 2006 National League East champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there, strike three called. The Mets win the pennant. The New York Mets edition of the Talkie Mets podcast here on this Sunday, December the 16th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com, at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you could leave me a review on iTunes, whether, you know, with the rating or with something, a little comment, that'd be greatly appreciated. would love to hear from you. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, just uh, wow, less than a week. We got. I can't believe it's the 16th of December before Christmas. I know some of you in the audience probably have already celebrated Hanukkah. Uh, the New Year is is right around the corner, and and the winter and the winter meetings is behind us. The winter's flying by fast. The winter meetings is behind us. So, um, hopefully, before you know, it, it'll be spring training. Hopefully, we get through the winter here in New York without you know the kind of cold and slop. And it's a crazy day today cold and rainy, dreary, the kind of day that makes the winter so unbearable on the East Coast, uh, but it's not snow, so uh, coming uh, back at you after a podcast uh, with our friend Rich Mancuso, who wrapped up the winter meetings with me, but uh, we had a ch- I had a chance to catch up uh, earlier with Michael Mayer of MetsmorizedOnline.com. Michael covers the minors, does a great job of it for MetsmorizedOnline.com, and he was down at the winter meetings, and I wanted to get his take because it was his first trip to the winter meetings, and he had a chance to run into Brody Van Wagenen. He was uh, covering the Mickey Calloway press conference. He actually sat in on many of the managers' press conferences. So in addition to getting his thoughts on the moves and this catching saga that keeps going on and took a development earlier this morning, and who knows by the time this gets to to be up, it could be something that's going on, but... Uh, get his thoughts on those moves, and, and the Rule 5 draft, because the Mets did make some selections, and the hope is that it will allow them to have a little bit of depth on the big league roster in 2019. Uh, one thing before I get to Michael that I do want to bring up, because it's being talked about, I saw Bill Madden talked about it in a column, uh, Ken Davidoff over at the Post uh, brought it up, I, I know it's been tweeted out about, is the idea that because of the fact that the winter meetings much like certain games during the regular season and the game of baseball in general, the knock lately were slow and tedious, that perhaps there needs to be some rules instituted to 
you know, quicken the pace. And this has been an issue in, in many ways for me with sports over the last few years. I know the NFL has made a lot of changes to increase scoring over the years. The NBA certainly has done that. The NHL has had to do that. Uh, I think a lot less than the other sports, but has done it. I'm certainly not an NHL expert. You guys could weigh in on Twitter with that if you disagree with me. But baseball really hasn't changed in terms of the game itself. The you know it's 90 feet to the bases. The pitching mound is the pitching mound. Uh, you know you it is what it is. And I know the shifts and all the other things that are going on have been a debate. I'm always in favor of organic change you know the the players and the managers and the coaches it's the old cops and crooks always trying to stay ahead of each other a more benign version of that but make sure that things organically happen one of the things that came out last night from Mike Puma of the New York Post is that Chili Davis the new Mets hitting instructor is going to try to uh, encourage the Mets to not necessarily just have one swing and just swing at a launch angle but maybe adjust their swing to the situation, something I think that was done a lot more at different times in baseball and something that I think Keith Hernandez talks a lot about when he's on the broadcast about when you're, you know, two strikes, certain pitchers, what you should be looking for, go the other way. There's really nothing wrong with that. I think that that is dangerous when hitters have been programmed and put into a routine. When you start to really give them a lot of things to think about and changes, there's always the chance that you could ruin them, but... The Mets brought in Davis for a reason and believe in it for a reason, so I guess we'll see how that goes. But where I'm going with this point is that many have talked about, uh, similar to what they're trying to do with the game, which is institute rules on pitching changes and shifts and really try to force action because they don't have confidence that it will organically fix itself. They want to force a trade deadline during the offseason. Now, some, like Dave Dombrowski of the Red Sox, uh, the GM and president of the Red Sox over there, he seems to believe it's a quality of life situation where now the game has become from the executive side 24/7 365 that there's really no chance to breathe there's no gentleman's agreement to take thanksgiving off or christmas or you know take a long holiday weekend you feel if you are you're almost putting your team at a disadvantage and and while you're sleeping uh, somebody else is out there taking what you got. Well, guess what, Dave? Welcome to the United States of America. And welcome to what all of us face in different jobs at different levels with the way the world is today. There is no downtime. You have to manage it. You have to figure a way how to do it without compromising the integrity of your position or putting yourself or your, your team or your company or whatever you're doing in uh, jeopardy. It's a challenge, and there's no right answer to that. But more importantly, I think the reason why many want a trade deadline is because the media wants action. They want something to report about. They want the ability to have press conferences and and have action. I mean, it's boring to go to the Las Vegas Mandalay Bay and stand around in a lobby and and have this big place that you can't find anybody. And sure, you network, uh, but have nothing to really write about or talk about that generates any buzz or excitement. It's boring. It makes the job boring. But... When Robinson Cano trade went down, there was a lot to talk about. When Brody Van Wagenen was hired, there was a lot to talk about. Didn't have it at the winter meetings, but there was a lot to talk about. And I know I've seen some say, look at how the NBA free agency is. July 1, the action starts, and it goes on for about two weeks. And then this, and I, I love it. I wish that baseball was like that because you go in, you go out. For the most part, your teams are set, and you're done. NFL, same way in March. You have this frenzy. Uh, and then you have some things that spill over, but for the most part, by the by April, the draft and and so their their teams are set. Remember, different sport. You know, NFL they need to start really practicing, learning the team schematics. 
you can't just pop in in March. Uh, you can pop in in March and, for the most part, learn a baseball team. You don't want to pop in on your team in late August in the NFL and, and be ready for September. Much more difficult. Uh, NBA, team sport, uh, where it's not, it is individualized, but it also, uh, you know, a lot what happens with the team impacts certain players and individuals. Same thing. You you don't really like to incorporate different things. You want to come into training camp knowing what your personnel is. Uh, Baseball is different. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I look at the market and I think agents and teams are trying to outwit each other. They're trying to drive prices up or down depending on which side of the fence you are, are on. I think baseball's got to take a step back and let things transpire. If players who are left-handed are hitting into the shift and their batting averages are declining, they're going to have to figure out a way around it. Uh, if there's more technology for the pitchers to be ahead of the hitters, the hitters have to figure a way around it. Technology's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, you just have to deal with it. If there's too many, you know, you can maybe make some roster regulations for September or you can maybe put some roster regulations uh, for how many pitchers you could have. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but I don't like changing the integrity of the game, which says the pitcher has to pitch, you know, for two or three batters. Like, there is a whole economy based on lefty specialists that you'll probably destroy, and maybe that's what they want, uh, you know, if you incorporate that. So, and then, you know, to incorporate a trade deadline during the winter, um, and I think at one point, and I didn't know this, it was reported today that there was a time where there was like a deadline where you could do interleague trades, which sounds so stupid, but interleague trades, then you had to wait till spring training. You know, to me, you're trying to drag the game back. Action's going to happen throughout the winter. Uh, gives you things to talk about. I know it's ad nauseum hearing about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, uh, but it's going to fill time. If you do it all in a couple of weeks, what are you going to do the rest of the offseason? You're going to watch MLB Classics? Uh, so there's a trade-off with everything. But listen, the real point here is this. Let the game evolve and, adju- and adjust. Just like shifts evolve. We didn't have to force shifts. They evolved. It will swing back. Just like we've had the steroid era and we had different eras, it will shift back. Just three, four, five years ago, everybody was concerned about a power outage with baseball. Now everybody hits for power. Like everybody hits three-pointers. You just have to take a step back, relax. Uh, This isn't a salary cap league, at least not yet. So the uh, idea of having to grab a spot before money dries up is not there. You really want to change it and get some action? Put a salary cap in. It won't happen. Put a salary cap in, you'll see it happen. So, you know, there's that. Now, the other news that came out today, JT Realmuto, it appears, just like uh, the Marlins have been doing to the Mets and every other team, that they're trying to hold the Braves up, asking for major league talent like Ozzie Albies. The Braves smartly are saying, you know, we got prospects. You're not getting guys off our major league roster. Bringing Realmuto in is about adding to the roster, not subtracting to add him. Hopefully the Mets do the same thing. Albies is no different than the, the Mets version of Nimmo or Rosario, and he's probably not even as good as two of those guys, um, uh, Conforto as well. Uh, it seems like if you listen to Andy Martino all week and the Mets are working really hard and are making catcher a priority over the outfield, over finding a center fielder. And if they get a Grandal, who is probably a more realistic option now than at any other point in the offseason, uh, they'll spend the money there and maybe go more value-driven and center field. Uh, or go at Lagaris. Who knows? Uh, that would certainly upgrade their offense. Uh, I think it holds up. This catching situation, I think, is holding up A.J. Pollock's market because it connects specifically with the Mets. I think nobody wants to make a decision until this whole thing vets itself out. It's certainly holding up Martin Maldonado. It's certainly holding off Grandel and Ramos. I don't think Ramos is as much in play for the Mets. I think it's going to come down to 
Maldonado, who's the fallback plan. It'll be Grandel or Riomoto as the preferred plan. I'm fine with that. I still like Maldonado. I know the offense is uh, a problem, but I still like him quite a bit, and uh, and we'll see where that goes. But don't be surprised by the time this podcast goes up that maybe something happens and it'll be stale, and we'll have to do another podcast. So anyway, uh, that's where I stand. I don't have a problem with Grandel. I do worry that at 29 years old, he's going to be, in, especially if you give him a four or five-year deal, you'll be getting his prime, but a lot of his late prime, and that's dangerous for a catcher. Riomuto is going to be more expensive. I do not support the only player I support building a package around on the big league roster is Rosario. And even that, uh, I think you have to look at how the kid in Double A Jimenez, how you feel he's developing. He's only 19. Uh, you know, Maldonado would probably be the most value-driven in terms of cost. And uh, after that, I mean, you, you might as well then at that point uh, look at the Jonathan Lucroys of the world. Or I'm not, I know there's been rumors about Francisco Cervelli with the concussions and he's making $11 million and... I don't know what Pittsburgh would want in terms of a, of a package. I, I don't mind Cervelli, but he worries me, and I wonder how much of an upgrade he would be. Certainly would be a catching upgrade, which we need, which they need. Um, but long-term, I'm not sure if that's exactly as huge of an upgrade over uh, going with a catch-and-throw guy like Maldonado. So we'll see what that is. So anyway, let's take a break. When we return, I had a chance to catch up with Michael Mayer. We'll hear about his experience at the 2018 Las Vegas Winter Meetings. What is his thoughts about the recent moves for the Mets uh, signing Jerry's Familia, the JT Real Muto saga, the catching situation, all the other things that are going on, and the Rule 5 draft as the Mets picked uh, a couple of guys that might be able to help them with big league depth in 2019. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast, where we'll have more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today we're back and back from Las Vegas and you know maybe he's still got a little bit of sleep in his eyes there with the three hour time difference our buddy from uh, Metsmerized Online, Michael Mayer, at Mike Mayer MMO on Twitter. Covered the entire winter meetings. Can't wait to hear his experience. Mike, pleasure to have you on. Welcome back to the East Coast. So how was it? That Was this your first winter meetings that you had a chance to uh, work the room, so to speak? Yes, yes, this is my first winter meetings. And, uh, uh, it was certainly interesting and uh a little quieter from uh, a transaction standpoint than I had hoped for, but it was still uh, it was still good to get there and kind of meet a bunch of people that you know, like you know on Twitter, but have never met, and get to um, talk to some people you haven't met, and uh, it it was good just to connect with 
that part of it and just to be around i mean baseball in general i mean there was a ton of stuff going on ton of people there it was and then there was a casino in the middle absolutely so it, and it, it, it it's kind of crazy yeah that's a crazy place mandalay bay yeah it's funny because there's a lot of talk from writers now about well you know should there be some kind of deadline for trades during the off season and i think a lot of this has to do with the last two or three winter meetings have been rather disappointing and I made the point that you don't always get the Tony Fernandez, Joe Carter type, you know, for Roberto Alomar and uh, Fred McGriff type uh, blockbusters anymore. You don't have those uh, going on. And some of that has to do with JT Real Muto. I think he blocked the market a lot. I think a lot of it is also uh, agents and teams are really trying to play a game of cat and mouse and, and get the best value on both sides. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's like musical chairs. And then there's the other component where you go down there out to Vegas and it's an industry convention. There's a lot of that stuff going on that isn't part of the MLB network breaking down trades and trade rumors. It's, you know, getting jobs and, you know, networking like you did and teams, you know, networking. And that's really not an event. Uh, so to me, I'm, I'm okay with keeping things the way they are. I think sometimes when you mess around with something, for the you know entertainment value, it, it just does more harm than good. Uh, you know, if, if if anything, the fans just have to realize you tune in when you tune in. If there's nothing going on, just pass it over. Watch some football, I guess, if you're not interested in a particular winter meetings. But that's my take. It was quiet, but um, if you're there, I think you see from the industry perspective that there's a lot going on that may not be of entertainment value, but of value to you know those in the business. Oh yeah, for sure, and. Like you said, there's a big job fair going on. There's also um, deep, different people in the industry are trying to get in the industry with their products, uh, especially nowadays with the analytical fields um, keep growing on each team. Um, there's a lot of people trying to make their headway into that business onto teams and different products that they think can help that. And uh, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, th- that part of it doesn't, entertain the fan or whatever but that that's a big part of it um so and yeah i i don't think having some sort of deadline during the off season makes a whole lot of sense i mean if you if you if you're going to do one thing with the winter meetings i might suggest moving them back after the holidays um that's one thing i might do but even then then you're getting closer to the season so i i just think this is more of what the the meetings are going to be. Um, and in talking to people with them being in Vegas, I think part of the reason why there wasn't as many moves is just because the meetings themselves were so widespread um, from where the media room was to like where MLB network was, where a lot of people hung out there. It was a significant walk. Um, so you're not like bumping elbows with people all the time. Sometimes that's how deals get done or deals get reported because someone bumps into someone and says something and then boom, it's reported. So I think, I think that played a part of it too. Yeah. There was a great article on the athletic about reporter on the plane, going back to Cleveland, running into uh, Mike Chernoff and Chris Antonetti and uh, basically couldn't get the the story up on Twitter because the Wi-Fi on Southwest and I've experienced that <laughs> Wi-Fi thing. Their Wi-Fi is bad. Oh, it was $8 worth it. He couldn't get it up. I wait and come down, and it's interesting. 
on the way down there, I literally tried multiple times to buy the Wi-Fi through Southwest, and it was so bad that I couldn't even get my PayPal to go through to pay for the Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's spotty, and (laughs) not that anybody wants to hear it on a podcast, but you know, if you're taking Southwest, I have no complaints about Southwest. I, I take it out of MacArthur Airport two to four times a year because where I go, Southwest goes, and you know, MacArthur Airport here on Long Island is close, but the Wi-Fi stinks. So if that's if you're a reporter and you need that, uh, Southwest is not the way to go. Were, were there any products, any things you saw outside of the news and reporting you had mentioned, you know, especially in the analytics field that you uh, happened to come across that were interesting that you know caught your attention? Yeah, I actually um, spoke to one company. They have a Twitter, and uh, I want to pull that up because I want to make sure I get it a hundred percent right. But what they do is they look at the quality of pitch. Um, they use Statcast now that Statcast is up, and they use um, Statcast to analyze the quality of pitch. And they've started marketing it to uh, um, some major league teams, and they talk to some while they're down there. I, w- I that, that's, sat that's down interesting. and that's another layer of uh, TrackMan, right? I mean, you know, you know what the pitch is, you know what the velocity is, the location. Now it's the quality. Yep. I mean, you you could get to the the nth degree. It seems like with this stuff. Yeah, and I I know they've talked when they were down there. They talked to some broadcasters and trying to, because I mean that's that's where you start with this type of stuff. Really, is so that they can get it out there. Um, I've retweeted some of their stuff recently. Um, they've been out there for a, a couple of years now, and I know I know without getting too specific that some of their stuff's going to pick up soon. And it, it's very interesting. I haven't uh, gotten into as deep as I can to give, like, enough information on it or to give concrete stuff on it, but it, it's very interesting, and I had a good conversation about it can help in a couple of different factors with um, – the quality of pitch. So it, it, it'll it be interesting to see if that kind of takes off. So, I mean, we have, like with offense, we have the launch angle and exit velocity. And we also, I mean, we have the velocity of pitch, but it, it would be good if we got some sort of way of telling us um, right then and there, um, the type of movement it had, um, the amount of movement, like what's the average for that. And so it gives you some sort of idea of the actual quality of that pitch so it'll be something to see for the next couple years absolutely interesting stuff mike mayer uh, metzmerized online uh coming back from the winter meetings uh wanted to catch up with them and and not so much just recap the meetings but get a feel of the experience and some of the things he learned now you ran into brody van wagenen huh you had a a quick one-on-one was it uh when you ran into him and 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 it seems like and maybe I'm wrong, but the rumor is he may be a reader of MetsmerizedOnline.com. Yeah, so I was actually – I had just called my dad who went down with me, and uh, I told him I was going to meet me up for lunch. So I was just walking uh, right in front of uh, one of the restaurants in the main strip there, and uh, Floor, I think, is the name of it. And saw my dad, and we just got talking, and I looked over, and there's Brody just – he was basically by himself for a second that he started to talk to someone and I just kind of waited it out because I just, all I wanted to do, I hadn't had a chance to um, meet him in person yet. So I just basically just wanted to introduce myself. So, yes. Yeah, so after I got talking to that guy, 
um, some fans went over to him. So I kind of went over when the fans were there and he, he was kind of like uh, doing a little press thing right there. But with the fans, they were, some were telling him to trade Syndergaard, some were telling him not. And he was asking why. And then, well, who do you want? And obviously the big topic was Real Muto. So people tell him to um, trade for Real Muto. And then one of the guys went off and was telling him about his son that plays in college and was trying to get a contact for a scout. And <laughs> but but the but it was the whole time Brody was just being cool and talking to the fans and just acting like he was just some guy on the street talking to fans. It was cool. And then I did get a chance to talk to him a little bit by myself. And uh, when I introduced myself, he's like, hey, wait. I've read your website. That's one of the sites that's actually been pretty kind to my hiring. <laughs> so I got a, I got a good chuckle out of that. And obviously he's uh, aware that not everyone is keen on his hiring. Like uh, I think Buster Olney was one of the ones that was pretty hard on it. I think Bob Nightingale was another one. So uh, yeah, it was, it was just interesting beyond m- him talking to me, just seeing how he interacted with the fans. He, he took pictures with every single fan that asked him to. Um, one of them didn't come out good, so he did another one with them. He was he was just uh, – he, he was really good to the fans, which is – I mean, some guys are like that and some aren't. So it was just good to see someone new to the fan base that was willing to take time like that and to sit there and chat about whether he should trade Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> Yeah, that that is different, and uh, nothing against Sandy Alderson. I couldn't see him doing that. He tried Twitter. Uh, I think his dog, his golden retriever, got more pub on his Twitter <laughs> than, than 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 Sandy, and he gave up on it many many years ago. Uh, what do you think? So you know, very quietly, and I don't think it's getting a lot of attention. Van Wagen has brought in some real uh, heavy hitters in the front office. Uh, a lot of Red Sox guys. Uh, coming in, uh, you know, uh, big analytics hire in Guthridge. Uh, Go through it real quick because you may know a little bit more about these guys being on that side of the business. But when you're – even in the minor league side, the minor league managerial side, when you're pillaging uh, the world champs and you were there, we'll get to it. Mickey Calloway specifically mentioned how he liked the way the Red Sox did things in the postseason, which was interesting because I connected some of those dots. Uh, you got to be impressed at the very least, whether you agree with the moves to date or not, how the front office is being built. There's a lot of uh, experience and a lot of diversity from many different angles in that front office. Oh, yeah, I agree. And obviously, like you said, they obviously had a plan where they wanted to go out and get some experience and not just experience, but people from an organization that had success and quite a, I mean, the Red Sox have had a pretty uh, good run of success right now. It's n- it's not just recently. I mean, they've for the last ten ten or so years, they've been one of the better teams in baseball. So from that standpoint, it's always good to have that type of person in the organization and to touch on the guys a little bit. I mean, Albert Bard is a guy who certainly has a lot of experience. He's a former general manager, so I, I don't think. I don't think that necessarily. I mean, that's a that's a good thing given um, Ben Wagenen's inexperience, and also think it's important for the Mets to try to get some try to get some different views in the front office. Um, not just, I mean, 
they Riccardi was there for a while, and Rico is still there, and Collins is still there, and uh, I I think it's just it was good to get some new perspective on some things. Um, Jared Banner, I I haven't heard a single bad thing about Jared Banner, not just on um, the baseball side, but just as in general as a person. Everyone I've spoke to, like one of the first things they wanted to talk about uh, was just how good of a person he was. So. Um, that that's i think they needed to go in a different direction with the front office um getting those type of winners like you said is is a good part um we'll have to see how it all mixes together and how quickly it can come together because i think that's a little bit of an issue for me is how late they decided to hire general manager um they knew in june Oh, that's when Alderson stepped down. So I think it would have been a, nice to have a general manager in place sooner so that some of these guys could have been in place possibly sooner and got a better feeling for each other before, I mean, before the winter meetings even. I mean, Banner was only a couple of days before. Um, Bard was only a couple of weeks before. Got Ridge the same thing. So I, I think it's tough to kind of roll all that in them all in together and kind of think that you're going to have a great cohesive group going into the meetings. So um, I think it remains to be seen, obviously, it remains to be seen how successful it is. But uh, I I think of the group, uh, definitely Banner is the one that I've heard the most good things about from that group. Yeah, it's it's and look, uh, you could look at it a couple different ways. Why are they leaving the Red Sox? But uh, the fact that they've come into the Mets tells you some positives about the way that this team is viewed, and that's something that's been uh, a real big thing. Um, Mickey Calloway, you had a chance to sit on the press conference. I thought he was very erudite. I know people get on Calloway's case. I know that he struggled uh, during those post-game press conferences uh, with the media. Sometimes he relies on some narratives to answer questions, and, and I know that annoys people because – it's like a motivational speaker, and fans want you know hardcore meat and potatoes. But I got to tell you, I think, and I wonder if you agree. There was some interesting tidbits from Callaway. What, what did you take away? Because I watched the conference. I obviously watched it remotely. You were there. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, he did. I mean, there was a couple of things that he was very hard lined on, like Cano batting third, um, Diaz being not just the closer, but because um, that's, I mean, Diaz being the ninth inning closer, because that's what he's been used to or whatever, or that's what he had success in last year. So I think he was a little more definitive than he has been in the past. Um, I know there's some things, some fans didn't like to hear, like Frazier being called the thir- uh, starting third baseman. Um, ah. I I still I still have a tough I still had a little bit of a tough time with it. Like you said, sometimes his answers just feel very narrative driven to me, um, or even like politician vague um, sometimes. I wonder. To me, I wonder if that's something that uh, having Riggleman around will help with. Um, I mean, Riggleman's done pretty plenty of press conferences and. He's been, in the past, he's generally been someone who's 
he, he's had some fun with those things, so I wonder if that gets Callaway to open up a little bit in that regard. Um, but you also have to think about how tough it is for a manager to have a press conference at on December 12th when who knows what his roster is going to be in two months. So it's tough to answer some of those questions that you end up getting about certain things. I mean, he's getting asked about the catcher position and he, he doesn't know who his catcher is going to be. There's a very good chance that the Mets catcher is not even on the roster yet. So in that regard, it's pretty tough for him to answer stuff like that. Uh, but beyond Callaway, I, cause I sat in on three or four of the other ones, uh, Kevin Cash, Terry Francona, Gabe Kapler, I, I thought it was just interesting to hear um, some of the insights and questions that they were asked nowadays. A lot of talk about shift and analytics and stuff. And it was, I just found it interesting to hear some of the different philosophies um, from some of the different guys. I mean, there's obviously still a wide range of managers in the major leagues from like Gabe Kapler to say Don Mattingly in the same, um, the same division. You've got quite a, difference there um so it it was just interesting to hear hear their thoughts in general and uh live like that and to be able to ask them questions i i got one in for a couple of the managers so it was from from that standpoint it was just cool in that regard who what manager impressed you the most uh honestly it was i would have to say it was kevin cash and um, I got thinking about it and just hearing him now and having known a little bit about him when he first started managing, because when he started managing, he hadn't managed either and had very little coaching experience at all. He had only been retired, I think, two years. And to hear him now from when he was a couple of years ago, it kind of made me feel like, well, this is something Mets fans could hope that um Callaway becomes because obviously Callaway had little to no managerial experience and had only a few years of coaching experience and um that in experience showed last year and I think it showed in not only making wrong decisions but in some of the thought process behind the wrong decisions so I think it'll be interesting to see if Callaway stays in the mold he did last year or he kind of evolves like I think you've seen with Kevin Cash. Yeah, and I think Callaway even admitted, and if you remember, he had made a comment during the season which really rankled a lot of fans about the media in New York versus Cleveland, and he had said something, and I don't know if you remember it, but it stood out to me where he had to adjust how much time he was spending with the media and managing the media and I guess the players had made a comment about that, about spending more time in the clubhouse and being more connected to the team. I thought that was interesting. That was very honest. And you know, I think that's something that Collins got a lot of credit for. And then I think it's something that Collins also got criticized on the way out, where he got disconnected with a certain type of player, maybe the younger players. Uh, and from my experience, Collins was always more with the veterans and the stars, from what I understood. But I thought that was interesting because – it really, you know, I've always said managing in baseball is not necessarily the X's and O's. It's managing the bullpen. It's, it's managing the media. It's managing up the, uh, the front office and the mat ownership, more importantly, and it's managing the clubhouse. And those are very simple things in, you know, okay, four bullet points 
five bullet points, whatever. But they're all very difficult. And it's almost like, well, why do you have to manage the media? But you do. It's your responsibility. There's a pregame show. There's a postgame press conference. There's the you know, Wayne Randazzo thing. Then there's the thing with the media at City Field if you're home. And it's a lot. And it's a lot of repetitious, stupid. I'll use Kobe Bryant was on a podcast re- recently. Some of these reporters ask average person questions. That's what Kobe Bryant brought up on a podcast. And I laughed because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's, it's a stu- – like, there are things that I would be embarrassed to ask, but I guess if you have to fill time and you want to come up with something to put in your copy, you got to get a quote. You got to get a quote. That's part of the journalistic rules. But I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you remember hearing him say that. Yeah, I do. And it is. I mean, like I said, he, he had such little um, experience. And specifically with that, I mean, press conferences, he didn't have much experience at all. So that's, and that's, I mean, like it or not, that's a big part of the job in New York is dealing with the media day in and day out. So um, I think in that regard, one of the people I was actually impressed with was Dave Kapler. Um, he he seemingly had all the answers and know what he wanted to say. And not only did he do that, but he – there, there's something about him being around him. He, he engages you and makes you want to listen to what he's saying. And uh, that that was part of what impressed me with him. And uh, I I think again that that's something I think Callaway has had an, a little bit of an issue with in the New York media. Um, but again, that's he just I think or hope, like I said with Kevin Cash, that's something that's going to improve over time. Uh, given just given his complete lack of experience. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how he does this year in that regard, um, not just on the field, but uh, off the field, too. You'll uh, have any issues with the familiar signing? I, I basically put it this way. It, wouldn't, might have, it wasn't the first guy that I would have picked coming into the offseason. I had some concerns about the mileage. He's had some minor you know, arm in, injuries, you know, the blood clot and, and some tendonitis last year. But – uh, hopefully they did a thorough physical. He's still young. Uh, you're putting him in a setup role. He can still dominate righties. I keep him away from some of the tough lefties. When he doesn't have it, he's not the closer now. You could just pull him. You kind of know when his command is off. He shows it very quickly. And maybe you give him a batter to get it going. But if it doesn't happen quickly, uh, you know it's going to be a bad inning for Familia. I don't really have a problem with it. And he has the experience getting big outs. We could debate the postseason and what's happened in the postseason. Not all that's been his fault. And if, uh, you know, Diaz needs some uh, some rest or, God forbid, gets hurt or, you know what, you just don't want to, you know, uh, use him that day for a variety of reasons, you have an experienced closer. You don't have to go and play mix and match. And you know the guy can close. Uh, and I think that's important. Now, yeah, what I've liked Andrew Miller, I think Andrew Miller, I think uh, a lot of the other guys would still have come with some question marks. So I don't think there's any reliever that you could sign. Even at Craig Kimbrell, who everybody says, look, he has tons of question marks. I wasn't impressed with him in the postseason. So uh, I, I got to tell you, I really don't have an issue with it. I know that some have an issue with the domestic violence. I get it. But, you know, putting that aside, I really don't have an issue with them bringing Familia back. And the contract is is not horrible. No, I, I, I don't have a major issue with the the on the field performance with Familia. Um 
I think that's a pretty fair deal for that type of pitcher. And he was actually one of the younger guys available to be set up or a closer or whatever. And I mean, I'm not going to be, assuming he pitches like he can, there's not going to be too many setup men in baseball as good as Familia. And like you said, closer experience uh, has pitched in the postseason. I know people bring up a couple of games that aren't his fault, but he still overall has pitched well in the postseason. And um, he he's shown he can pitch multiple innings. Um, I I don't have I I think it's a solid deal all around really. Um, him and Diaz at the back of the bullpen and throw Lugo there. I mean now the Mets have the making of a very legitimate bullpen, um, or the start of one I should say. I would still they still need to add a lefty. Um, Xavier Cedeno is one that I've brought up multiple times. Um, there's a couple other options, Justin Wilson. Uh, I, d- I don't think they'd go after Andrew Miller now. Not that they shouldn't. They sh- if they can afford it in the payroll, they should absolutely still go after Andrew Miller. But I, I think he'll end up getting um, his money elsewhere at this point. And yeah, like and you if said, he's getting ten million a year. You can only imagine. I think Miller would come in north of that. Maybe not three years, but maybe two years, twenty-eight million, something like that. So he's going to be expensive. Yeah, and I I don't think. I don't see the Mets adding another um, double-figure per year million guy in the bullpen. So I, I don't, I don't think Miller ends up being the guy. I think they'll end up getting a lefty like I'd mentioned, like Cedeno or Jorge De La Rosa, Luis, someone of that nature that you can get on a one, two-year deal, a couple million, and then maybe a a long or not a long guy, but a guy who can throw. Uh, two innings every time he's out there. Like uh, Adam Warren has been mentioned as a player I would love of interest. Adam Warren. I think he's an underrated. I think he's an underrated pitcher, Adam Warren. That would be a great move. They could bring somebody like him in. What about Ali Perez? Is a situation a lefty? What what a great way to end his career. <laughs> I don't. Hey, I don't I, think that's a good idea because I don't think that he would get a great shake by the media and fans. One bad outing early, and uh, I don't know how that. Now that bad karma from the past would play with him. I mean, if you if you just take away the names and just look at the numbers, he was arguably the best left-handed reliever, um, specialty reliever in baseball last year. So, I mean, and he's older, so he's going to probably be pretty cheap. I mean, like you said, it would be a tough situation for him, given the – I think the media would be a big issue. Um like you said, one rough outing early would kind of, which is too bad because really it should just be about what he's doing now and what he could help the team do now. Because um, he has, he's been a pretty good reliever for a number of years now. It was very, very good last year. And the Mets need a lefty. So he he would be a good fit on paper. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not so sure the Mets go down that road. JT Real Muto, he's clogging up the entire hot stove catching market. There's some indication that maybe Yasmani Grandel will be picking up steam with the Mets. I don't think Ramos is the guy they're going to fall back to. I think Martin Maldonado would be more of a fallback, and I don't mind that. I know that you have some issues with that. That also would require 
probably them not going the Ligaris route in, in center field. I know that Maldonado, uh, he has implications in other areas, although I think he's a great catch-and-throw guy and would be great for this pitching staff. Look, here's what I'll say about Real Muto. I'd love to have him over Grandal and all those other guys, no doubt. I'm open to trading Rosario and a reasonable prospect for him. I'm really not open to Conforto and Nimmo. Um, Rosario, I'm not as high on, although I wouldn't give him away. I think you could sign Jose Iglesias and get similar short-term performance. But at some point, you know, you really have to put feet to the fire with Miami and say, hey, what's going on? If you don't get an answer, maybe you move to Grandal, uh, who is, you know, look, Mike, he, he's he's going to require probably a four-year deal. He's going to be expensive. He's he's a, he's not quite in the prime like uh, like Real Muto, and he's a catcher. He'll be over 30 as the contract goes on, and had issues in the postseason. And I know the Dodgers have prospects, but the Dodgers and this guy's been good. Just letting him walk that always concerns me a little bit. Uh, and I know they have other options, but if he's this good. You wonder why would L.A. not want him back. So give me your breakdown on the catching situation, what you think is going to happen, and what do you think about some of the proposals. I'm not even going to take the Syndergaard part of it seriously because I don't know what to even make of that. I, I look at it more the Conforto, Nimmo, Rosario portion. Yeah, I, I, I will mirror what you said about Syndergaard. I don't believe that was anything that was ever going to happen nor ever will happen. Um, Conforto is a hell no for me. Uh, there's way, way too much upside to be trading Conforto for him. Uh, Nimmo, I'm still. I I think Conforto is the better of the player, those two players going forward. But you're also going to have Nimmo. Nimmo's under control for four more years. I I would have a really tough time trading Nimmo, and I, it just doesn't make any sense to me to trade Nimmo for a catcher when the outfield market is not strong. I mean, you can argue right now that the Mets need an outfielder without trading one. So then you trade Nimmo, or even more stupidly, um, Conforto, then you technically need two outfielders in a really bad market. Um, Rosario, it's such a tough one with Rosario because I think – I think you're in a better position to trade him simply because Jimenez is so close. He's likely going to start in AAA. And and you could sign someone like Iglesias, though, if you have Jimenez. And you probably don't get Iglesias because Iglesias is more of a multi-year deal. You end up probably getting someone like Freddie Galvis. Um, there's just – I think Rosario has more value to me than simply trading it, making – that trade for him. Um, I just have such a tough time trading anyone on the major league team. Um, that's going to be a big part for next season when you can sign Rondell or you can sign Ramos, or even if you still want to make a trade, you could trade for Francisco Cervelli, which is going to be way, way cheaper than Real Muto in terms of value. So, to me, you don't trade either of those three guys. That would I wouldn't trade either of those three guys for Real Moto. In would the you run. throw Jimenez? I mean, I don't know if they would do it. If you had Jimenez, who's probably one of the Mets' top pro- – I mean, you could argue the Mets' top prospect. You keep Alonzo out of it, and then you say, you know, there's a couple of pitchers maybe. 
You might have to go uh, the route of Vientos. You might have to go Mauricio. These are very low-level prospects that could burn the Mets uh, down the road. Uh, would you headline with Jimenez? And, and really, that's – I mean, the kid's 19 years old. He's made it to double-A. That's special. I mean, and he, and he has yes. a decent – that's special. That's not – listen, 19 years old, I know he didn't tear up double-A, but he held his own. That's a big deal. So you might be keeping Rosario, but trading the better prospect. It's really, do they believe that long-term is Jimenez better than Rosario? And he could play multiple positions, shortstop in the second. So he has a little versatility there. That's the real question. And I don't know. What do you think? I think Rosario, to me, still has a higher ceiling, um, specifically on offense. He has more raw power than Jimenez. Um, Jimenez is the more polished player. Um, his defense right now is major league caliber. Um, the bat is really is really going to rely on how his power develops, and there is a lot of people that disagree on it. Um, I know, for instance, Keith Law, who I will have the interview up hopefully in a couple of days that I talk to, isn't a believer in the, the power development of Jimenez, which is would make a huge difference in his ceiling. He still thinks he's going to be a major league starting shortstop, but without the power, you're talking about like a Freddie Gal. Well, not even Freddie Galvis because he had power the last couple of years. But you're talking yeah, about a defensive. Than at that point, he's more. Like yeah, Glee. yeah, more close. Yeah, closer to Ingl- Yeah. So, which is a use, uh, which is a useful shortstop. You're talking about a two or three war shortstop, which is very useful, but. I still think the ceiling for Rosario is that of a five to six war player. Um, but so given the lack of uh, ceiling for Jimenez, I would absolutely trade him in a deal for Real Moto. Um, and obviously you would have to give up more. I think the interesting thing here is that all all of these players that are being talked about and the trade that was already made, and the one name that we really haven't heard at all in any of these talks is Peter Alonso, which I find interesting given the previous regime wasn't terribly high on Alonso, or some people, I should say, in the regime weren't terribly high on him, and by no means should he be a guy that's off limits. I mean, we're talking about while he has played very well offensively last year and has some of the best power in baseball, we're still talking about a guy that struck out at a high rate and most people feel like may never be an average defensive first baseman. So to me, I don't understand you talking Rosario, Conforto, Nimmo, but, and trading Kelnick done, but not having Alonzo on the table. I think if you absolutely are trying to trade for someone of real Muto stature, I think Alonzo should be a guy that at least should be talked about. As we've seen in recent years, you can get production from first base pretty cheap. I mean, um, Adams for the Nationals, I mean, I think it was like $5 million. CJ Cron, who had a very good offensive year last year, is making like $5 million. Um, you can get a offensive-only first baseman fairly cheap on this in the market. So I... I'm kind of interested to I would be interested to hear why the Mets wouldn't want to at least discuss Alonzo specifically now when I think his value is high. 
Yeah, it's it is interesting. It makes you wonder: Are they that high on him? Uh, has he shown? He's shown a lot since the summer. So you know, right-handed power, forty home run power. It's not something I would just give away. But you're right. You know, are they holding on to him? And why is there no, uh, you know, scuttlebutt about teams wanting him? But you know, I, I'll say this, and I do want to. We have Mike Mayer from MetsmorizeOnline.com with us. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to get to the Rule Five Draft. But I will say this: nobody connected the Mets to Familia at all. There was no rumors. No, they Actually, didn't. The last rumor, no. it was the White Sox that was getting more play on that, and, and he yep. signed in the middle of the night. So who knows, you know, the media being used as much to mouthpiece for teams is as much as the the situation as, as reality of what's happening. So we know that. Uh, rule 5 draft. So they got two players, and, and I know we talk about this every year and the likelihood of anything ever coming from these players. I mean, for every Sean Gilmartin, uh, who actually helped the Mets? There's there's ton that you know never even make it, but uh, Pedro Beato. The Mets have actually done quite well. I mean, Beato had a pretty decent year. I mean, they tried Brad Emis. They've they've tried to use this as an opportunity to build the farm system, especially when they've had issues with their own depth. But Kyle Dowdy, a righty, throws hard. Failed starter. Maybe they're going to put him in as a reliever. Uh, what do you think? Is this a sleeper uh, pitcher that they can add to the inventory on the 40-man? And, and you know, they guess what I'm saying? Is he in the Eric Hanhold, Drew Smith, you know, Tyler Batchelor, who go on and on and on as some of the young pitchers that are going to try to round out that bullpen? Well, before I get to that, I, I would be remiss if we talked about Rule 5 guys and I didn't bring up the fact that they made the very smart decision in drafting Darren O'Day. And then have made a very bad decision yeah, in true. not keeping him around. So that Nelson <laughs> Figueroa can make a start. Yeah, that that did yes, not work. That, but you know what? The Mets weren't really competing in, in the subsequent years, so who knows what would have happened there? But you're right that that uh, they've made some good picks and then they've let them go. That that to me is um, is a prime example. And Darren O'Day has been a really good pitcher. He's starting to decline a little bit, but he's been a really good pitcher for the last seven eight years. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I, I can't help but bring him up. But uh, I'll get on the Doughty now. Um, Doughty, I think, I know uh, Brody mentioned him as starting pitching depth. Uh, I don't I don't think he's starting pitching depth. Um, he's the type of guy that you can throw in the bullpen. Uh, the back end of last year, he saw an uptick in velocity. Um, he actually hit reports of 98 and 99. Um, his numbers are better in relief. Uh, he's got a his second best pitch is a cutter. So I mean, you're throwing 97, 98 in a bullpen with a decent cutter, that can play at least in like middle relief. And he does have most of his experience is as a starter. So like we mentioned earlier, um, they they have a need for a kind of a swing guy slash a multi inning guy. So there's I think there's some hope there that he can fix that he can fill that role because Bachelor Smith, Handhold, um, Rame, those those aren't the type of guys. Those are mainly one inning type guys. So, um, I'm not I'm not sold on him being a major league talent. It'll be interesting to see um, how he he does in spring training. Um, and like you said, there are there are a ton of relievers that are going to press him for one of those last couple of spots. And obviously, it'll depend on what else they do um, in the reliever market. Uh, the other one of the other picks they had because they took four in all. 
Um, the most interesting one in the minor league takes was Braxton Lee, who was actually on the opening day roster last year. And I think it was MLB Pipeline that had him as their 17th-ranked prospect going into the year. I mean, this is a guy that could have a major league role, uh, speedy outfielder, very good defensive outfielder, has a good arm, a good defensive center fielder, I should be more specific, um, good arm. He, he hasn't hit much in his minor league career, so that that's the obvious reason. I mean, there's a reason why a guy's available at the minor league phase, but the, Met, the Mets only currently have four guys, four outfielders, on their 40-man roster, and one of them is Cespedes, who's obviously hurt, and one of them is Ligaris, who's coming off from being hurt. Um, and the depth, the depth at the upper minors in the outfield isn't strong. I mean, you can tell that by Tim Tebow is going to be a starting outfielder in AAA. So I, I think this was a great minor league phase pickup. You don't get a chance to get a guy um, that A, had this type of pedigree, and B, that has some major league experience. Uh, there's a good chance he ends up playing in the major leagues this year for the Mets at some point. Um, specifically for his defense and speed, uh, think Terrence Gore of the Royals. I mean, he, he filled out a role for a couple of years simply because of his defense and speed. So uh, that that was a good pick for them. That You don't normally get that type of value in the minor league phase. Yeah, those are guys that you could use on the roster, especially when they expand in September as well if they don't uh, make it on the twenty five. So uh, what's next for you, man? You got the Keith Law article coming out, the interview. I've had Keith on the show. He's not an easy get, uh, so good work on that. Um, what do you got coming up? I mean, as we do this podcast, who knows? Maybe JT Real Muto gets traded uh, before it even comes out. We don't know. But um, what's next for you over at MetsmerizedOnline.com as we head into the holidays? Yeah, I'll get to hopefully get the law thing up uh, as soon as possible. It was a little – he, he likes to talk baseball, so it's going to take a little while to get that transcribed. Um, we have, we've been voting on our top 50 prospects at Mets Marais and the Mets Miners. Uh, big group of us. There's like teen writers in our chat now, and we've meticulously gone over each single position that we vote for, each number. So we're just we are almost got that finalized. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll start rolling that out. And I know people enjoy reading those, arguing with us about that. Um, so that'll be awesome. That's one of my favorite times of the year, obviously being a prospect guy at heart. And other than that, I, like you said, I hope real Muto, one way or the other, I hope that kind of gets fixed or figured out soon. Um, whether it's the Mets or someone else, it'd be nice to get the catcher market moving. I just, my big concern is that the Mets hold out so much hope for real Muto and end up missing out on Grandal or Ramos. Yeah, that that's that's where this is at now. It's musical chairs, and the, and the team could potentially be the one without a chair at the end. Mike, uh, listen, happy holidays. Good work in the meetings. Uh, we were supposed to get you on while you were down there. Obviously, things transpired that didn't allow us, but I'm glad we got you on after. And in any event, it was better because there was actually more meat and potatoes for us to talk about after the meeting. So be well, and let's do this again, all right? Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Mike. That's uh, Michael Mayer.
at MikeMayerMMO, MariasOnline.com. So let's take a quick break, wrap up, final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, and final thoughts. Uh, great stuff from Michael Mayer. Hope you enjoy it. And you know what? If, if you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to it and not – Going to MetsmerizedOnline.com. I know that they're supporting me and, and sponsoring the show, and I, I'm biased, but you definitely are missing out because there's great content there. It's not it's it's passionate fans that start out, but many aspiring journalists. I think there's a, a very fair and balanced view. Uh, you got our buddy from 9870 ESPN, Rich Catino over there. Uh, uh, you know, tons of content there that um, you know. Ty Kelly, former Met, is writing an article which you should check out about his. Big league experiences, so really cool stuff going on at MetsmerizedOnline.com. So what's next, you ask, with the podcast, with the holidays coming up? Yeah, the idea, and I sound like Dave Dombrowski now, take some time off. Take some time off for the holidays, recharge. Uh, definitely have something that I'll be putting up in between the holidays, probably New Year week. I have a, a, a pretty cool segment that I recorded, uh, and I don't want to give it away, but something will be up on that sense. I'm working on another podcast, uh, but really the one thing that probably will ne- be necessary, I have a feeling the Mets will make in the next seven days, and, and who knows, maybe by the time this goes up, it, the, the deal will already have been made. Uh, the, the The point is is that the, the catching situation is pretty fluid, and I think we'll have to do a podcast and, and be reporting on a Mets signing and commenting on that, so stay tuned for that. So we'll see where that brings us. But uh, regardless, keep going to MetsmerizedOnline.com. Subscribe to the show on the RSS or the podcast feed, and you'll get all the updates that you need. We're out of time. I want to thank everybody for joining me here on this Sunday. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcasts very soon. Take care, everyone. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the